house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Unforgiving for housewives. It's like every other multi-million dollar gamble we housewives make every day. <laughs> All right, then. Let's show them what you're made of. We're out of time. We need six million dollars. We just lost a race that we could not afford to lose. You're guaranteeing that this horse is going to win the Triple Crown. Three races, three states, in just five weeks hasn't been done in 25 years. You're that stubborn. I'm that right. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast having Ray Liotta over for dinner. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. Or maybe based on last week's episode on Hannibal, it might be a cooking class. I am your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I'm here with my co-host and the Diane Lane to my underdeveloped but still fiercely supportive Marco Martindale, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Hello, Joe. I am so flattered to be called your Diane Lane, no matter what kind of wigs I have to wear. No matter what kind of hairline you have to have, no matter what gold (laughs) lighting follows you wherever you go, no matter what like weird political like background this puts you in, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, We talk a lot on this at Oscar Buzz about how like biopics of notorious or noteworthy people often spell an instant awards campaign. Um, But this week we're looking at a film that conjured Oscar hopes from the story of a famous horse. Love that um, horse. That's right. This week, love that. You gotta love that horse. Um, that's right. This week we are talking about Secretariat, the movie about the racehorse that famously won the un- an undefeated Triple Crown in 1973. Um, except the film is more about Secretariat's owner Penny Chenery Tweedy, who faced a male-dominated industry while raising a politically divided family. Uh, Joe, so would you call the Triple Crown the Oscars for horses? I mean, yes. It is technically. I mean, not technically. Like it is. It, it's 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 the biggest. It's the best. It's like thing the that biggest thing, right? Yes. Like, okay, because I have to say, like, we've seen how many horse movies? We've seen a ton of horse movies this year. Um, I genuinely, as someone who does not follow horse racing, and as someone who is like generally speaking terrified of horses, strangely, <laughs> um, I have no idea. Like, I. I could only understand from this movie that the Triple Crown is a big deal, but I don't understand what it is. Sure. Like, it's a series of several races, right? Can you explain the Triple Crown to me? I mean, as I should clarify, I am not into horse racing. I think to be into horse racing, you basically have to own a horse or be a gambling addict. But, like... I am I'm aware of horse racing to the extent that like most people are aware of horse racing, which is I watched the three Triple Crown races. So they are the three 
big races for I want to say it's two year old horses. It could be three year old horses, but it's like it's a specific like age for a horse. So it's like you couldn't Secretariat couldn't like come back the next year and like defend its triple crown. You can only run it the one year. So. Um, but they're the three most prestigious races in horse racing. It's the Kentucky Derby, followed two weeks later by the Preakness, followed three weeks after that by the Belmont. The Belmont Stakes are somewhere in New York. I want to say somewhere out on Long Island. The Preakness Stakes are in uh, Maryland, Pimlico, and the Kentucky Derby is obviously in Kentucky. And okay, Kentu- the Kentucky Derby is the only one that I like really know anything about, and I know the that hats. there's like hats and like that's a big deal and like i gotta say like maybe it's a thing that it's like i truly don't care if you can't get me to at least invest in the hats well that's yeah and and the kentucky derby being the first one is the one that gets all of the attention because i think you know a lot of people sort of like you are just sort of like okay well you know now my interest has waned my you know you've gotten you've wrung out the one little bit of my attention that i will allow to go to horse racing you know, at one point in a year, and that's the Kentucky Derby. And generally, you, the Preakness gets a little bit of attention because, like, if the Derby horse can then win the Preakness, then the chances to win the Triple Crown are alive. The reason why the Triple Crown is so prestigious is because it's happened so rarely. It just happened this past year, like this 2018 uh, Justify the uh, was a Triple Crown winner, and it was only the 13th, I believe, horse to ever do it. And they've probably been racing horses since, you know, there was a country. So, or at least like all century. So it's They should have named that horse Justified so that a Justin Timberlake album and a television Uh, show could win the Kentucky Derby. I thought you were going to say so Timothy Oliphant could could ride it. Yeah. Timothy (laughs) Oliphant, who is a Vanderbilt, as we learned, as I learned last week. Yes, he is a Vanderbilt. Speaking of riding Timothy Oliphant, there are a lot of double entendres in this movie. Things about, yeah, like, riding, well, my horse yeah. is going to make yours take dictation. It's like, <laughs> okay, Margot Martindale, you can say that. Um, we should do a 60-second plot. I am glad oh, that right. you established what the Triple Crown is to me. I don't think that this movie specifically, when it was so integral to what the plot it is didn't really establish it whatsoever like it assumes that i already know and i absolutely did not i see Um, so thank you for doing that for our listeners but for now if i haven't made you prattle on enough about horse racing would you like to give us a 60 second plot description sure of secretariat are you ready i'm ready your time begins now. So Diane Lane plays a woman named Penny Chenery Tweedy, if that's not a difficult enough tongue twister for you. And at the beginning of the movie, her mother dies and her father is uh, sort of addled with dementia. So she is left to essentially take control of the estate. They're, they're very wealthy and they have an estate and they have a horse ranch. And she, the more she gets into the, the horse finances of it, she starts to sort of get a, get a head for you know, the business of it, and she manages to shit um, get the the horse she wanted from a breeding contest with the richest man in the world, played by James Cromwell, and this horse has uh, has been bred for both speed and distance, so it's like the greatest horse in the world, and his name is Secretariat, and they end up entering him in all these horse races, and nobody believes she could do it because she's a lady, and John Malkovich is the horse trainer, and Margot Martindale is the supportive, like, 
Secretary, and um, Secretariat ends up winning the Five Triple seconds. Crown because it is the best horse in the world, and we all love it. Time! It. There was a lot at the beginning about trying to get to breed this horse in a way that I wanted to like explain, because that, to me, was the part that I didn't really know about. And because yeah, basically like the story of Secretariat horses. is like it's a super fucking fast horse. The thing that most sports fans know about Secretariat is like greatest horse race, like greatest racing horse in the world and won the Belmont Stakes by like 30 something lengths. Like you watch the clip, you watch the clip, not to skip to the end of the movie, but you watch the clip of Secretariat winning the Belmont. This is why it's kind of funny to make a movie about Secretariat because generally movies, sports movies about real, excuse me, sports movies about real events are about underdogs and about close finishes and are about, you know, the miracle on ice and are about unlikely events. And Secretariat going into the Belmont was the massive favorite and won by like the biggest margin you could ever win a horse race by. If you watch the clip of it actually happening, the camera filming the race has to keep pan like going backwards and backwards like farther and farther zooming out so that you can have more than one horse in the frame that they can they have to end up by the end like shooting this angle almost down the track so that you can see where the next closest horses to secretariat are because he's that far ahead so the that's sort of what you know as you know if you're a sports fan about Secretariat. That's basically unless you were like alive at the time, which like I wasn't. I was not. But what was interesting to me about the movie was the parts at the beginning where Diane Lane's character sort of out outthinks um, the James Cromwell character, whose name I am not going to remember, who was rich at guy. the time. Yeah, rich guy, the richest man in the world, and. Richie Cromwell. Ogden Phipps was his name. I'm sure, sure his descendants are still <laughs> making money today. Yeah, and you know, like, you're just not allowed to be born poor named that Ogden name? Phipps. You sure aren't. Yeah. You sure are not. So, but the idea the was... The IRS just, like, throws a bunch of money at your birth certificate. Right. The idea was that the basically the only thing that, that um, Penny Chenery's family had of value were these two like mares these two breeding mares that they would essentially like i mean it's gross but like you rent them out to people who own stud horses who then like impregnate your horse and then you sell the offspring and that's how you make the the money and horse i mean it's horse breeding it is the business of creating this sort of genetically superior animal right so the idea at the beginning of this movie is Ogden Phipps wants the the foal of this one mare because she's the younger mare, so she's going to have the more, you know, genetically vibrant or whatever, like, foal. And they've both been impregnated by this, like, great racing horse and this fast racing horse. So the idea is this super fast um, sire is going to have this super fast horse with the younger mare. And then Diane Lane is like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But this older mare, who nobody is, uh, nobody gives their due, which, like, you know, obviously, Diane Lane, also yeah. an, old, an older mare who nobody is giving their due, um, is a better distance runner. So the idea is 
that in horse racing, you're either a speed horse or you're a distance horse. Either you run to the front of the pack and hope that the race ends before you get, you know, you tire out. Or you're a distance runner in that, like, you start off slow, but you are going to be the one who's going to make it up at the end because you have endurance. And Diane Lane's idea was, well, this particular combination of horses is the rare, could produce the rare offspring that is both fast and can last the distance. And ultimately, that was the case with Secretariat, even though nobody believed it could happen. And that's sort of the, if you want, they, you know, the underdog story that they try to put on top of this story of this dominant horse was nobody thought they could have a horse that could be both the fastest and the most uh have the most endurance and so that to me was interesting that she sort of she outsmarted ogden phipps she outsmarted her brother dylan baker plays her brother who was sort of like doubting her at every turn because you know she's a woman in this incredibly like male dominated industry like i will always watch that movie where it's like a woman like bucks a male system like you have right. the the biggest like showiest moment of that is diane lane going to a country club that's male only but like part of the movie's problem is like her big buck of the system is she goes to a country club that's well that is bu- why like, that is why a horse racing movie is always going to be a tough fit for an underdog story because horse racing is a sport like taken up by and populated by exclusively rich people incredibly rich, white rich people. people like incredibly rich people it's interesting that you see uh the jockeys have often been latino or hispanic people especially mm-hmm. in the last several decades and you wonder why maybe that hasn't been an angle but i think the idea of a jockey i don't know it's interesting to me that in horse movies we tend to even in Seabiscuit, which is like nominally Toby Maguire is the lead, but there's so much stuff about the owners of the horse that like the owners tend to be kind of the stars of the show and the owners tend to be the ones who are treated to the kind of glowing profiles, the owners and the trainers and that kind of yeah. thing. And you see that even when they cover races like the Kentucky Derby on TV, where the jockey gets sort of a little cursory interview afterwards, but a jockey is the jockey is sort of treated as one with the horse a little bit, and then it's the it's the trainer who gets the stats of like this is his like third Kentucky Derby win, or you know, the owner, or even like the lineage of the horse. So it's an odd sport, it's, definitely. It's a for lot sure. of like business to have to be invested in into being able to access a movie because I feel like I couldn't access this movie on any level that wasn't Diane Lane and probably because I have none of that information and I think that like that's perfectly fine like I think this movie was definitely playing to a certain audience yeah um but yeah I who had access to that information I think I liked the movie probably a good bit better I think it's a pleasant it's a pleasant enough watch. I was really sort of you, as you can attest. Like going into watching this movie, I was like, I can't believe we're gonna watch fucking Secretariat. I was like, two hours and three minutes of a horse movie. Like the first people that have watched this movie since it was in theaters in 2010. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sitting there on Netflix, just waiting for you to discover it. It's under hidden gems, probably. I honestly um, thought it was fine, but you're right in that there's. There's a like, lot this of is, this movie's a dead movie, and I think like it died really fast, and we'll get into it when we talk about the failure of it. However, 
one thing you did bring up that I think is a good entry into the Oscar buzz discussion for this movie and like people shit on this movie, but you mentioned Seabiscuit and Seabiscuit, however, makes it this very human story. That's very accessible. And like, there's a lot of human tragedy in there. Even Seabiscuit has the tragedy where like, you don't think about like, this is a movie about a bunch of rich white people. And like, I can't really think about it. And like, there's a lot of, what Diane Lane goes through in this movie that you want to root for more that like she is a woman in a male dominated industry. She's essentially tried like her, all the men in her family tried to like push her into the corner of what's expected for women to do. And she doesn't do it. And it still is like a little gross about it. Like it's not, it doesn't, access it in a really human way if I can I don't know if that's the way to put it it's it still feels for lack of a better word and like it feels red statey still yeah you mentioned that you wrote that down in the outline and I, I want to hear you sort of expand on it the only part of the movie to me I mean beyond the fact that it's like a bunch of rich white horse owners the only part to me that I thought of red statey sort of political angles to it was that the family was essentially going to be ruined because of the estate tax that that the uh the estate tax was going to cost them like seven million dollars that they didn't have and they were being pressured to sell secretariat um in order to cover that bill and i was sort of like bracing myself for like oh god don't become a, a screed against the estate tax this is the like you know one percent of occasions where you know, that tax would actually financially impact a family like that in in any kind of real way. But, like, don't become, don't be that guy, Secretary. Don't be that guy who goes on about the estate tax. But you seem to have found a lot more sort of red state insidiousness to this. And, like, that's not the, I mean, like, that doesn't mean that it can't be, like, human or relatable but when it's like John Malkovich's character, who's like the horse trainer, essentially, when he is painted as eccentric merely by wearing the color pink or like the whole <laughs> His family dynamic. garish and also he was French. Uh, right. Well, whatever. Um, and he's Malkovich Malkovich. Right. Um, there was a line in that performance of... Is he doing this because he's John Malkovich, or he's he doing this because his character is like first generation French American? Like, is he? Why is why did he say that word that way? Is that a weird like you know I'm still sort of getting used to the language kind of thing, or is it just Malkovich the, doing his weird? It's thing? always it's always just Malkovich Malkovich being Malkovich Malkovich. Yeah. Um, there, there's. I was really bothered by a lot of the family dynamic in this movie, where it's like everybody's on some absolutist, like, p- like political playing field. All of the men, including like her eight year old son, is like talking about communists and. Oh like, yeah, talk about AJ Michalka for a second. It, well, okay, so like the major personal triumph that. Uh, Penny Chenery Tweedy goes through in the movie, or at least that it tells us, is, like, they're obviously very... I mean, this is obviously a Republican family, even though I don't think they ever say the word. They do But, like, her biggest personal triumph is that she, like, is proud of her daughter who is, like, protesting the war? 
Yeah, she's a hippie protest It's girl. gross, man. Like, and that's all she can, like, like, she, the big emotional moment is that she tells her that she's proud of her for that, like, and having her own independence, which is great, but, like, it seems so entry-level, like. It's definitely entry-level, for sure. It's, like, to not align whatsoever with what, like, the male political point of view is in this entire, like, sphere, and especially the household, is, like, just a single toe is, like, outside of line, that she could be proud of that is a lot for me. <laughs> I think the movie puts a lot of that generation gap um, Ajita onto the husband character who is played by Dylan, Dylan Walsh, Walsh, who is one of the great never not a bastard actors in, in cinema where he's, he never even, it's not even necessarily that he plays b- villains or evil people. He's just always such a shit. He's just like, yeah. anytime I see him cast as somebody's husband, I'm like, well, great. You're just going to be a shit, aren't you? And it was, it's sort of how I thought of Josh Hamilton before uh, eighth grade this year, where it's just like, well, reliably, Josh Hamilton has showed up to be a shit It's going to be a horrible dad. Like, yeah. yeah. And then he, like, is wonderful. Yeah. Um, no, when Dylan Walsh, who I had no earthly idea was in this movie, no. showed up on screen, I was like, great. Well, we have to talk about Nip Tuck yet again on this podcast. <laughs> We have actually talked about Nip Tuck a lot on this podcast. Yeah, it's one of the weird things that has come up a lot on this podcast. Is he's Nip a Tuck. shit on that show? Um, he's like a yeah, ew, he's God. He's one of those Justice people for Jolie who, Richardson. Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson. Who my favorite thing about her because she plays an American on that show, um, with Vanessa Redgrave playing her mother on the show, actually, which is interesting. But her American accent was generally fine until she had to say the name Christian. And unfortunately, Christian was a main character on that show. And every time she said it, she said it Christian. And I was like, girl, it's just change, change that character's name, something. I don't know. Like your lead actress can't say his name without betraying her actual British accent. It's really, really funny if you go back and watch. The name Christian. Christian will never not make me think of my friend from college who would do an imp- like the f- like this is you, listeners are going to be scandalized, but he would oh, do God. an impersonation of Nicole Kidman dying in Moulin Rouge. Uh huh. It's like you have to go on, Christian. Yes. And it was the funniest thing, and it's all I can ever think of when I hear that name. Yeah. What was his name? Like Christian Tuck? I feel like the doctor's names on Nip Tuck should have been Doctor Nip and Doctor Tuck. Christian McNamara. Christian Tuck. Christian McNamara and and Jillian Walsh was um, fuck. I'm not gonna get it, but it's definitely uh, Christian McNamara. Troy. No, it was Christian Troy. McNamara was Jillian Walsh. Uh, It was McNamara Troy. It was. I still don't remember Dylan Walsh's first name, but he was McNamara, and it was Christian Troy. Christian Troy, which is such a porno name. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, for a porno well. character, um, yeah. Back to Seabiscuit. Or, <laughs> that's not going to be the first time that I, that's not going to be the last time this happens. Um, back, back to, to Seabiscuit. Okay, okay, maybe that's a, maybe that's a good transition into the Seabiscuit. We need of to it talk about because... Seabiscuit of it all. Because I feel like that's the only reason this movie had Oscar buzz. I know you, um, in our outline, Diane have Lane, Diane Lane down, and I think that's 
not untrue. This she's you know an Oscar nominated actress and whatnot. But I feel like without Seabiscuit as a recent prototype of a horse movie that could make it all the way to Best Picture, essentially just on its populist buzz, was what Seabiscuit or God damn it, now I'm doing it was what Secretariat, Secretariat was going for. And for me, I'm like that might have worked if they hadn't just done Seabiscuit. It was sort it's sort of this like Mobius strip of of buzz and then killed buzz which is it wouldn't have had oscar buzz if not for seabiscuit but it couldn't get a best picture nomination because of seabiscuit like well and seabiscuit like a lot of people hate seabiscuit especially that oscar campaign i think made people dislike seabiscuit even more and like if you put these two movies next to each other seabiscuit succeeds on every level that this movie fails go into that because i don't know if i necessarily believe that I just think you can I think Seabiscuit is so much cheesier than this movie. And I think ultimately that probably helped it with with becoming a populist hit, but I think I cringe so much watching Seabiscuit and I didn't with Secretariat. I was on a flat line with Secretariat, which makes it probably a worse movie, but a less aggravating movie and a less annoying movie to watch for me. Well, okay, at least let me put it in the perspective of I don't have to defend Seabiscuit no, in this way, don't. but I can at least say what Secretariat doesn't do. I think right. even Seabiscuit, if it is really labored and manufactured and like bludgeoning you into feeling something, you do actually feel something. This movie, I don't even think cares if you feel anything. Um, I think they're both very handsomely made, but like Seabiscuit is the one you would rather look at, you know, like. Yeah, I can see that. The, the actual Secretariat thinks scenes... if you just have a gold sheen on everything, yeah. it's pretty, apparently. And, like, if you make fog, it's, like, you know, moody. Um, if you were about to mention the racing scenes, the Seabiscuit racing scenes are way better. That's what I was going to say. I think Seabiscuit really invests in the racing scenes. And, and you the... get excited about that. It makes it exciting, and it makes it compelling. And I think you're right. And I think one thing that Seabiscuit does that really did annoy me that I do think Secretariat could have benefited from is making a character out of the announcer. Oh, yeah. Because I think a lot of people who are casual horse racing fans, and again, what I mean by casual horse racing fans is you turn on the TV for 15 minutes every Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont Stakes, and it's like, that's all you do a year. And for those people a lot of the excitement beyond, you know, throwing a stray $20 bet on a horse or, you know, following if there is a triple crown storyline that year, a lot of the excitement comes from the excitement of the announcer calling the race. I know, I can't remember the name of the guy off the top of my head, but there was this one guy, and I think they used a lot of his audio in Secretariat, um, the longtime horse racing announcer. And... It's iconic the way the excitement that that goes into calling those races, especially you know down the stretch they come, that whole kind of stuff. Usaichi Pegasus is moving up. Red Bullet also finds a seam to run through. Down the stretch they come in the breakness. Red Bullet takes command, draws clear a length. Fusaichi Pegasus in the second spot. Impeachment is flying. Captain Steve on the outside. But as they come to the final 16th, Red Bullet and Jerry Bailey win the Preakness. I think Seabiscuit creating a announcer character 
really helps the audience know why they're so excited. I mean, it's a, a race is a race, and you know, you know, you want one, you're, you know, the character you're invested in to win, but there are intricacies to the race, and I think Secretariat depends on a lot of them about the horse that gets ahead early and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and you know what it means for a horse to start late in last place or to get bumped out of the gate or to you know take the lead at the turn and things like that and you really it's not that the audience needs hand holding but i think there is a degree you to have to which... at least establish it right because like yeah. even i like started this episode by being like will you explain this to me you know like it this is also a Disney movie too, so it's like Disney is always going for like the widest possible audience, right? And it's like, or at least they're going to sell it to the widest possible audience. It's surprising um, that they were so austere in that in that manner. I mean, I want like if if we're putting a button on the Sea Biscuit Secretariat thing, or at least attempting to, because Lord knows we'll probably call this movie Sea Biscuit again. We certainly um, will. We certainly will. Um, I want to care about a movie that is about the things that Secretariat is about more than I do for Seabiscuit. And I just don't know how... I don't know. It's like, even Diane Lane is kind of just, like, pigeonholed into, like, you know, be humble and austere. I think you mentioned that word, but, like... The I most know, emotion though. she gets to display is like cry on a phone, and like I don't ever feel like and like not to shit on the wife again, but like this is my problem with the wife too. It's like just because you say you care about the interior life of a woman doesn't mean you are actually doing that in behavior in the way that you are telling a story. I feel and, like, like I I think I feel a little bit differently. I think the one thing that the movie does to get me invested in is it shows me it shows me all the ways in which this woman is underestimated subtly and unsubtly in her in this professional sphere in a way that doesn't feel like it's being too obnoxious about hitting me over the head with it like it's very obvious but it's also just sort of the fact of life of that time period and i think i think i I think you're right in that, like, it's an austere performance in terms of emotion, but I think she gets to have a good bit of fun with this character and how sort of, you know, spiky and staticky she could be, especially with, like, people who weren't into her, who weren't on her level, that, I don't know, I don't think it's a very challenging performance, but it's certainly not something I would nominate for an award, but I think she's fun. I think she has fun with the role. And I think um, when you get that sort of central trio of like her and Margot Martindale and Malkovich, the one scene where he's like, you don't like my hat. And Mar- Margot Martindale is just like, no, I don't like your hat. And Diane Lane has to sort of like giggle to like try and keep a straight face. To Be say the middle like I don't know. I, like, I think that central trio. Um, and then when they add the uh, the the son of the Fred Thompson character who doesn't get, by the way, uh, a credit at the end credits. He doesn't get a solo card, so he wouldn't have been SAG eligible, which I always thought was too bad. Okay, can we talk about the credits, actually, for a second? Yes. 
Did you stay in long enough to watch the end credits where they do the the actor? Yeah, the, with the, the like order of actors. Yeah, yeah. Lane and Malkovich go above title. Uh, then Dylan Walsh and James Cromwell, fifth build in this movie. Do you want to guess? It's not Marg. Kevin. Kevin Connolly. It's Kevin Connolly with his goddamn Kevin fake Connolly. sideburns and fake mustache, and he's the one with the stupid hats. He's the Kevin one with Connolly. the stupid hats. He plays the one of two reporters, the other of whom, um, who's a character actor whose name I can't remember right now, fully doesn't get a single card credit. Kevin Connolly is credited ahead of Nelson Ellis, who plays um, one of the trainers, the sort of very... You know, attuned to his whore, big red, big red. You know, they, you know, his his relationship with yeah. Big Red is very. I always thought too. Every time they call Seabiscuit Big Red in this movie, I thought of Bring It On. Nelson Ellis ha- noted horrible RuPaul's Drag Race guest judge. May he rest. Yeah. May he rest in season seven. Dylan Baker, Margot Martindale, and then Scott Glenn gets the and credit. So whoever Kevin Connolly's fucking agent was at this time, and it's not even like this was during the heyday of like entourage fever. Like this was 2010. Kevin Connolly already was a, you know, failed attempt at creating a star. And we're going to give him fifth build and secretariat. I, for one, am aghast. I don't know about you. Yeah, like... Um, Margot Martindale is so important to this movie. She's Margot Martindale like, should be second build above John build? Malkovich. It's insane. Yeah, Margot Martindale, who is just like exists purely to be supportive. Like I don't know who this woman is. She's just there to support no. Diane Lane. And like, who? First of all, I should backtrack a little because who am I to really complain too much if Diane Lane gets to have a starring above the title role? And like, also. We all just want Margot Martindale to support us. This is true, but also, do you want to remind the audience what Margot Martindale's character's name was? Uh, I, uh, good luck with that. Why don't you tell the audience? Miss Ham? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't just give somebody a name like Miss Ham. It's just... Ham! I know that was her actual name, but maybe call her by her first name then? I don't know. Miss Ham just Her sounds first very. Miss. First name, first name Miss, last name yeah. Ham. Deal with it. This was also the year before she won her Emmy for Justified, which I feel like we were already at the. I think the Margot Martindale ascent began with Paris Chatham. Like she was a character yeah. actress who yeah. showed up in a lot of things, and then Paris Chatham happens, and it's like, oh, right, that woman from. Million Dollar Baby and The Hours and, you know, whatever other things. My beloved Mrs. Latch from The Hours. You know how much I love her. Yeah. Um, and then Parish of Tom happens and everybody's like, oh, wow, she's fucking amazing if you actually give her anything the, to do. The, the time and space to do it. And so from that point, I think the Martindale ascendancy was happening. So already when this movie happens, she's like on her way. And I feel like the Emmy was a big moment for that and it was only a year after this but remember our utter certainty that she could be a nomination for august osage county for august osage county i know and like this is also partly what's great about Margot martindale is like the partly the reason the movie she didn't get nominated for that movie is like it sucked and like the story was only the you know headlining people julia yeah. and meryl but and like meryl. 
The other reason is like her big scene, she underplays it so much and it's so yeah. believable in that but like it's a big like climactic scene and you kind of want to see her tear into it but she is never going to be that type of actress and that's why we love her and that's why we love her right she's wonderful on twitter everybody needs to follow margo yeah it'd be nice if john wells had any kind of handle on the tone of that movie whatsoever 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 god we keep that's another movie we keep talking about august osage yeah, we brought it up in the uh, the Cumberbatch discussion as well. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Justice for Margie Martz. We love her. I mean, we love her. We continue to love her. I am annoyed by the people who only seem to know her from BoJack Horseman, which, like, get it together, people. I always think of our friend Alex Weisler's story of when he met Margot Martindale in a wine store because I just imagine she hangs out in wine stores. Uh, <laughs> and he didn't realize the... that he was standing right next to her. Uh, shout out, Alex. I'm stealing your story to tell it for you. Um, he didn't realize he was standing next to her and looked over and saw her and just screamed her name at her. <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> she did not respond all that well because why would you want a human being to do that? But like, you can understand the impulse of how that happened to him. I so always it's like I only imagine her name being screamed. I always imagined that the ideal situation for meeting a celebrity is in an elevator because you can, you know you know address them without having to draw a crowd to them and you it to can be, be this little like momentary interaction that end that has a like a defined end date and then it's done until now i feel like wine store is maybe the most optimal i think now that i've heard this yeah. it's most optimal i had given up the ghost on elevator because the one day i had gone to the offices that they were recording that they used to record the blank check podcast at when i was a guest on mm-hmm. their episode one time. And so it's me and David Sims in the elevator and in walks Olympia Dukakis. Oh my God. For something that was going on in that building. And because um, it's UCB. UCB was uh, was on the floor that we were going to, but I don't know what the hell else was in that building. And so Olympia Dukakis walks in and she, she sees on my face the flash of recognition and the flash that I get from her face is, oh, God, I hope he doesn't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh, you know, it's just like it's just straight up like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't talk to me. Like that was so clearly communicated on her face. And I was like, you know what? Fair. I'm not going to say yeah. anything. And so we got off the elevator and I go to David. I was like, did you see who that was? And he, I don't think he could see her face. And he's like, no, it's like, that was Olympia Dukakis. And, and she did not want us to talk to her. And there was like, and I was like, what kind of interaction? Cause I wondered too, if like she could tell that I gave the, like the gay flash of recognition. And she's just like, Oh God, I hope she's not going to start talking to me about Weezer. Clary, how dare you? No, but I would have literally quoted her talking about Weezer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would have grabbed David Sims and I would have said, Hannah! Hannah Malin! <laughs> Could you imagine Olympia Dukakis hitting <laughs> David Sims? That would be tragic. It would be the story that we'd tell our grandchildren. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. One time, Joe Reed and Olympia Dukakis hit David Sims. Um, I would like to talk about Diane Lane for a minute. Please do. Something I just say to 
random strangers <laughs> in elevators. Um, <laughs> okay, so you seem less into the Oscar buzz as far as she is concerned. I remember it specifically being sold as this could be Diane Lane's second nomination after Unfaithful. Huh. We'll go into that, because I don't remember that, but I, you know, could very well be wrong. Well, I mean... Or not or not wrong, but I just sort of, like, there are certain pockets of the Oscar season you miss, and the, well, because you it's know, so brief early. time in which Diane Lane was ascendant that year was... And I mean, maybe this is why it also... This is how we can transition into how the movie failed to actually get any Oscar traction, aside from it not being very good... That was probably the part of the year where I was writing my, oh, God, Hillary Swank's going to take away Annette Bening's Oscar again. Oh, God. Because remember because that storyline that conviction. season? Yeah. Where Annette Bening, because the Kids Are All Right had come out earlier in the year, and people were like, Annette Bening, it's going to happen this year. And then all of a sudden, there lurks Hillary Swank down the road with conviction, and it's just like, oh, God, not again. Right. Um, anyway, go We'll on. get into Best Actress, but Diane Lane has had been in the industry for decades, couldn't get arrested with lead roles. Unfaithful happens in 2002. It was a hit. She got these outlandish rave, not outlandish, but like these like to the moon raves for like good ass reason. Like if you yep. just make like her entire performance, that subway thing where she's like, it's all written on her face, like all of the emotions of this affair that it's she just had. Like it's the best so performance good. of the year, um, just in that one scene. Um, in a, if I remember correctly, pretty good best actor year too. And it's like it was a competitive oh, yeah. year. She, um, girl, any year where Meryl Streep in the hours gets aced out of a category, I know that's a I good know. year. I wouldn't really maybe good. necessarily give her the win based off of whole performances, but like I've, I've tweeted multiple times about that scene over the years. It's incredible. Um, it's amazing. It's like just brilliant acting. And like Diane Lane doesn't get really the opportunities. And like this was like the glossy studio movie that was coming out at Oscar season. You already have the Seabiscuit thing putting it in conversation, but you have her again above the title. And when it wasn't really happening, like after Unfaithful, you had Under the Tuscan Sun, which was like a crowd pleaser movie. Um, Did she and... get a Golden Globe nomination for that? I, I hope so. Up. Yeah. You know who else should have had a Golden Globe nomination for that? Sandra O. Oh. That's true. We like her. Yeah, she did get a nomination for that. Under the Tuscan Sun, Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. She's only had three Golden Globe nominations in her entire career. Unfaithful, that, and Cinema Verite, the HBO movie about, oh, what was that? The Loud Family, right? The, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, from the... the reality the, television. Yeah. What, what? I forget. It was, like, basically the first piece of reality TV. I forget what yes. the show was called. It um, was, like, an, an American Family or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Diane Lane, it's just, like, once... You are someone who's been firmly in the industry and you finally get your nomination and it's like doesn't happen. I think she's just one of those people that you're in the conversation for a while. What the bummer is, is she's kind of left the conversation because she's one of yeah. these tragic cases where she just doesn't get the roles. Like she's playing Martha Kent now in Super. I was going to say in the blink of an eye, sucks. you're playing Martha. Yeah. 
It just sucks. She was in this movie a few years ago called Paris Can Wait. Um, that oh, yeah. is directed not by that uh, great. Eleanor Coppola, right? Yeah, she's wonderful. Imagine like unfaithful, but like the affair doesn't happen, and they're going through the like European countryside eating food the whole time. Yeah. A- and, like, you don't know if, like, it's going to happen. Is it not going to happen? She's not with her husband, who I believe is played right. by Alec Baldwin. And I will just say, if you do watch this small little, like, 90-minute, lovely, unimposing movie, it has yeah. a great ending and a great final shot that will also make you oh. just love Diane Lane even more than you already do. I'm looking at her IMDb page right now. It says she was in Tully. Remind me who she was in Tully. I think she's just a phone voice in Tully. I love that movie so much. I've seen it like three times already. Because I was like, I could not remember her in that movie, but that would make sense. Yeah. I Uh, think you just hear her over the phone. Yeah. She's in the upcoming um, Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey movie, Serenity, about like murder on a boat or something. Something that happens. Where it looks very noir and uh, amazing. I've seen and that I'm trailer really twice in a theater, and I'm like, this isn't a movie that exists. This isn't real. Well, I think they pushed back whatever release date it had, because initially it was supposed yeah. to come out, I think, this year. And now it's saying end of January, and I wonder if that will get pushed back again. But she's an actress who really can dive into some really kind of... Uh, I don't know, like fabulous grossness. Not, you know what I mean? Where it's just like she can, she can be a little campy, trashy in a way that I'm interested in and excited about. And like, remember that movie, The Glass House? Hell yeah! Which is a terrible movie, but like she just jumps right in and plays the trashiness of that movie to the hilt, and I really like that about her. And I'm wondering if maybe this Serenity movie does that for her as well. Yeah. Another point that we could maybe mention, because he did get early talk, was John Malkovich in the supporting actor race, which just feels more like the type of thing where it's like you have a certain kind of actor playing a certain type of role in a certain type of movie, and they just get in... The conversation. I really don't think there's anything to his performance other than costuming. So I think like that talk was crazy, but I think it was that happening. was again. I think that was Seabiscuit talk because if you remember, Seabiscuit had an almost. It's almost unbelievable that Seabiscuit didn't end up with a supporting actor nomination that year, and I think it's only because they didn't know how to juggle their options where yeah. I think it was Macy got the the Golden Globe nomination, right? Chris Cooper got the SAG nomination and then someone got it into their fool head to campaign Jeff Bridges as a lead. Yeah. And not supporting. And I remember that year being like cuz that was the year that Tim Robbins won uh best supporting actor for a performance that I'm not sure anybody thinks is that good. Um, or at least now they don't. Maybe at the time some people did. But it always felt like he was sweeping that category because there were no more exciting options that year. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, and this was before Bridges had won for Crazy Heart, of course, 
I was like, if Seabiscuit would have gotten their head out of their asses and just campaigned Bridges as supporting, which he was. And he's the he best performance that in that year. movie. I was going to say, he would have won that year. In yeah. a walk, I feel like. Because that's, for one thing, that's where everybody who loved Seabiscuit could have voted for Seabiscuit. Whereas, like, Mystic River was already going to get, you know, Sean Penn and the screenplay and yada yada. But Seabiscuit, I don't think, won anything or at least didn't win anything big. Well, but Sean Penn wasn't the cakewalk you make it sound like there. No, but what I mean is Mystic River partisans had a place to funnel their votes, even if Penn would have come up short. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's where those votes were going. And... I don't know. I, I firmly believe that Bridges would have won supporting actor that year if they would have put him there. And I don't know. That that campaign really seemed to bungle that aspect. For as well as they did, you know, coming back from because remember, Seabiscuit got released early in that year. Mm-hmm. And was people were like, Oh, interesting. Too bad that won't last, you know, till Oscar because the reviews weren't strong enough. They were a little middling. And they really kind of muscled that movie back into best picture consideration uh that year partially because a lot of the things at the end of that year bombed but it was all otherwise a really strong campaign except for supporting actor again this is our podcast about seabiscuit yeah uh okay to bring it back to secretariat for a second i just kind of want to posit an open-ended question from let me put it this way secretariat opened i believe it opened in third place on the second week of the social network's release and i wonder what your thoughts are on opening a movie that doesn't really create much conversation or enthusiasm the unfortunate situation of that type of movie opening against something that dominates the conversation so much. Like, it yeah. dominated an Oscar conversation, it dominated a wider cultural conversation. Right. The social because network, think... it was like, people didn't stop talking about that movie until, right. like, what, Black Swan came along? Yeah, maybe. It was like I... two solid months of dissecting the social network. And honestly, like, it most it didn't stop through the entire Oscar campaign either. Like, other movies sort of joined it in the conversation, but you're right. It was the conversation piece of that year. I think in the abstract, I could probably put myself in the shoes of the people at Disney and be like, look, Secretariat is not going for the same audience that the social network's going for, and it's not going for the same vibe. And we can counter-program this. And I think what the the calculation missed was just how big... The social network would be mm-hmm. and i think maybe at the time you would think it's a fincher movie fincher movies never really are that broad that broadly appealing they they are you know intensely appealing to the people who are really into fincher movies and even in the wake of benjamin button um that if secretariat felt like they had enough of a counter programming claim against the social network where I could see that. You know what I mean? Your vibe is very different. Your subject matter is very different. Your audience is likely going to be very different. And I think they just underestimated what you said, which is how much that movie dominated all all corners of the cultural conversation. Well, and I mean, like, that time. It 
because, I mean, this opened in October. There wasn't... I mean, this was kind of a later Oscar year for what actually landed and what made money and what got a lot of nominations. And it's like it's like October kind of belonged to the social network. And I mean, yeah. Secretariat didn't like bomb. It made about $60 million, which is good for a movie like this. It was 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, 61 Metacritic, which is like obviously not a sweet spot. But like I expected it to be a lot, a lot worse than both of those numbers. Can we talk about the 2010 Oscars for a second? Absolutely. Let's Do you have something particular or would you like to get right into best actress cuz I would love to talk about best actress. Well, before we did that, so this was the second year of the 10, the uh the best picture top 10. Mm-hmm. Um this would have been the last they they did two years of it and then after this year they they downshifted to anywhere However between many. 5 and 10, right. And so it's never been 10 again. Right, so it's never been 10 again, but this was the the year, the second year that it was going to be 10. And it's one of the best, best picture lineups ever. And that's with, you know, five extra slots to fuck it up. But King's Speech wins, which, you know, people have their thoughts and feelings about that. I feel like at worst, the King's Speech is fine. I think the King's Speech is actually... A pretty compelling movie. It wouldn't have been my vote for Best Picture, but I think a lot of the negative reputation of the King's Speech both comes from um, Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper beating out the likes of Fincher, David O. Russell, Darren Aronofsky, and the Coens for Best Director feels insane. I and think the fact that, that he it... followed it up with Les Mis, which people like visceral, a lot of people viscerally hated, really Myself sort included. of coalesced this. What's that? Myself included. I hate that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say, though, since we're on the say Tom it. Hooper musical track, I just want to throw this out there. I am, uh, ironically and unironically, stoked for Tom Hooper's Cats. Me too. I, they just I announced be... Judy Dench as we're recording this. They just as announced Judy Dench. As old Deuteronomy. Like, as old Deuteronomy. I can't Everything wait. Everything about I this movie is wait. insane. Um. I mean, I also kind of feel like he's a good fit for it because of all of his weird visual nutcasery. Um, Sure, I don't think that, you know, Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser needs to be filmed in tight close-up, but we'll see how that goes. I just think it would, like, that style will lend itself to the, like, abstract strangeness of Cats. Back to the King's Speech point, I do think that... If the King's Speech has the same trajectory that it does in a year that is not also that it's not running next to the social network, I think people hate that movie a lot less. Well, that's the thing. I think if that's it's it's what you beat that sometimes dictates. It's why ordinary people spent so many years trying to get out from under the reputation of being a lightweight movie because it beat Raging Bull. These sort of you know, yeah, grand. Scorsese masterpiece. Um, and I think that it's a would never happen to de- today. Yeah. It's a little harder to defend something like Dances with Wolves for beating Goodfellas, but I think Dances with Wolves is also probably a better movie than its reputation um, in some degrees. It's still a bajillion hours long and a white savior movie about the Native American people, but it has its moments. Um, I haven't so- seen it since I was a kid. Okay, you also mentioned that this is the... Like, one of the best Best Picture lineups. I am looking at it right now. 
I only can like not stand for one of these movies. I hate one of these movies. Can you guess which Wait. one it is? Well, let me go through. Okay, so it's the Social Network. Um, the other best director nominated ones were Social Network, Black Swan, The Fighter, True Grit. I think they're all fantastic. Um, oh, I think I know the one that you can't stand, but hold on, we'll get to it. Um, Inception, Toy Story 3, Winter's Bone, The Kids Are All Right, all also nominated. And the one I think you hate is probably 127 Hours. Bingo Bango, I hate that movie. I don't. I really, really like 127 Hours. I know James Franco is not somebody we are at all enthusiastic about anymore, and that movie is basically all James Franco, but I feel like... It's the closest me, enthusiasm I could work up for that movie. I don't know. I really liked it. But the thing about that Best Picture lineup is, because every year you hear about, it's the same people coming out of the woodwork about how Oscars don't nominate movies that people go to see. And Oscar, you know, they tally up the box office numbers, and there's always one movie that made like $3 million at the box office, and that's the proof that Hollywood is out of touch with regular people and yada yada. And I always look at this 2010 race and I'm like, listen, people, like, Social Network made money, King's Speech made money, Black, Black Swan, Swan made the money. Fighter. Black Swan made a ton of money. The Fighter made money. Inception was a giant blockbuster. Toy Story 3 was a giant blockbuster. True Grit was a blockbuster. 127 Hours, I'm pretty sure, made money. The only but people look on at this, this lineup list, and they say Winter's Bone. That's the thing. And that and Winter's Bone is the, so the story goes, the reason why they downshifted from a top 10 to anywhere from 5 to 10. Because they didn't like the fact that Winter's Bone was added as the 10th movie that year and made the whole lineup look, I don't know, more indie than they wanted to be. Like, Winter's Bone is Which is insane. Movie. Winter's Bone is great, and it also has three other major nominations. Like Three other it, major nominations launched the biggest young star of the 2000s to launch. Like It's also, like, insane to suggest that, like, the academy like didn't see this movie and it somehow strong-armed its way in if it got those nominations like people saw this movie by the standards of this movie it made money it's not like the oscars are fucking overflowing with movie best picture nominees directed by women either so maybe don't like yeah. change your rules because god forbid this one you know small sundancing movie made it into your top 10 lineup i honestly to me this I you know and I I take your 127 hours reticence and and honor that but to me this is a top 10 without flaws it's it's a great oscars this year it's so funny to me that this fantastic oscars this was like one of the best best actress lineups we'll get into that in like a second um great nominations all around and it was the what it was the oscars presided over by the worst hosting job in forever this was the james franco and hathaway hosted awards that so horrified everybody and you know i will hold, i will stand up for anne hathaway who i think was you know tap dancing as fast as she could trying to honestly trying to you know what together. i'll be crazy I, if i haven't already gone off the deep end of crazy by saying i'm excited for tom hooper's cats let anne hathaway host the oscars again i want to see her like drunk hosting the oscars oh my god would I like let that. her have some real fun like she has like a biting sense of humor that like she lets out sparingly and if she did for the telecast it would be interesting 
Um, so talk about the best actress field that year, which I I maintain might be top to bottom the strongest best actress lineup easily of my lifetime. Um, I think it's pretty pretty phenomenal, and there's even like th- there's a bench underneath of it of potential nominees that could also make it just as great if you swap one out. Um, you have so the winner, Natalie Portman, Black Swan. Um, just love beginning it. her like wild, bold, risk-taking career. We love her. Um, Annette Benning, the kids are all right. Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole, Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone, and Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. Now, before you go on, of those five, who gets your vote? Um, honestly, Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah. There are there are days where I where I agree with that where there are days where i would say michelle williams but natalie portman natalie portman every once in a while i think huh she should have won she was the best in her category all three times she was nominated which i think is funny the only drawback is that on every other day i think my vote would have gone to nicole kidman for rabbit hole i think she's so she's so incredible so, so i mean she would easily be like my number 3 i just feel very strongly about michelle williams in blue valentine um i do think if natalie portman didn't win it would have made her winning for jackie like a sure thing um Possibly, and i do yeah. think jackie's probably the better performance of the two um it's at least the more difficult performance of the two to pull off. I like watching does. her I like watching her career as a continuum and I don't think we get Jackie without Black Swan and weirdly I don't think we get Black Swan if she's not the actress who has Jackie in her down the road. It's very much like time is a flat circle thing with her. And where... I don't think we get like the bold leap that like some people hate it, some people love it of what she's doing in Vox Lux that'll Agreed. be opening in a month after this episode airs. Um, Agreed. Because like that's that performance is just a bold freaking swing yep. um, that maybe doesn't work because the movie doesn't work. Um, but that is I, a big I'm giant pair of balls of a performance. Is I would oh say, yeah her yeah. in Vox Lux like that is. It's a treat to watch. So who wasn't nominated that year? Because that's almost as amazing as who was nominated. Because I mean, it's mine, and this is a controversial opinion of, I think, right up there at the top that, like, I would swap Annette Benning out for her is Julianne Moore for the same I, movie. I agree with that. I think um, I think we both said that in Toronto, and I think our, uh, our flatmates Nick Davis and Nathaniel Rogers were about to... Uh, attack us, Kill us. Yeah. with with knives um i remember fleeing from my life just horribly horribly afraid i know out into our alley um, out into the alley <laughs> the i love when julianne moore gets to be funny i, I yeah think she is really funny in a really like uncommon way um, get ready for gloria you guys oh so much fun um you also have leslie manville which there was weird category stuff going on for another year would you have nominated her leader supporting i mean i go back and forth i probably would say it's supporting but up until um bafta i believe because she was nominated supporting for them i think she was being pushed well no because i think they were just like figuring it out but i think she was winning lead prizes yeah um i think if she gets pushed supporting i still maybe don't think she gets nominated because i don't think 
American award voters were on that wavelength with either her or that movie, which is too bad because another year fucking slaps if we want to talk about Jesus, it in the parlance of our time. It's so good. It's another incredible. year fucking slaps. It's so good. Everybody go see it. So moving. Um, I believe yes. it's on Netflix still. Um, you mentioned Hillary Swank for Conviction, um, which, like, that would be a great movie for us to talk about at some point. Um, there was yes. also some talk for uh, Tilda Swinton for I Am Love, which was kind of like a small movie, but, like, had a lot of fans because she was speaking Italian in a Russian dialect. Um, right. Everybody really sort of, all the sort of cineasts were very much on board with this movie and performance this is of course the first luca guadagnino movie that i had ever seen i didn't love it i don't love that Um, movie either but she's good um she is another movie that people don't like but obviously this actress was around in the conversation is anne hathaway for love and other drugs movie that i have supported on this podcast probably erroneously and i would watch it again and say it's terrible that is as a movie Love and Other Drugs is a great way to see Jake Gyllenhaal naked, is what I will say <laughs> about that movie. And that's about it. Um, yeah, I feel like her, Hathaway is not bad. She's just gets a ridiculous character to play. And the movie does ridiculous things to this poor woman. Um, but boy, do you get to see Jake Gyllenhaal's butt. It's great. Yeah, there's some butt there. All right. Do we want to talk about because we've been at this for a minute do we want to talk about the miscellaneous awards that yeah uh, did it again secretariat did get yeah um our favorite the aarp movies for grown-ups uh gave their supporting actor win to john malkovich and his pinks over who and his pinks and his his patterned pinks pinks, which i love pinks his what okay dialectary Speaking of Leslie Manville, Leslie Manville wins the AARP Movies for Grownups Award that year over Annette Bening and Julianne Moore and Tilda Swinton and Vanessa Redgrave in Letters to Juliet, which is funny because I believe that Vanessa Redgrave is maybe not in that movie very much. But maybe I'm thinking of something else. Well, Leslie Manville won their lead, so. Yeah. Category confusion, but she at least got a trophy, so that's good. Category confusion. Boy, the supporting um, okay. actor lineup's really funny. Why don't you tell us? Yeah, everybody? Malkovich, Malkovich wins. Uh, ben Kingsley for Shutter Island. Jeffrey Rush for The King's Speech. Kevin Costner for The Company Men. Shout out John Wells. Um, and uh-huh. Bill Murray for Get Low. One of the things I love about the AARP Awards is if you have this lineup where it's Jeffrey Rush, Oscar nominee, and these other four people who were decidedly not, that normally you would just like see voters default to the Oscar conversation and just be like, we'll give it to Jeffrey Rush. He must be the best. And they don't do that. They decidedly and repeatedly don't do that. Also, the supporting actress winner. Do you uh, scroll down a little bit more? Oh no, it's great. It's Felicia Rashad for, for color girls. God bless it. For colored girls is a bad movie with like some out, like outstanding performances in it. Yeah. And Econone Rose is incredible in that movie. But, like, beating oh up Leo for the fighter who for won the fighter the and, and Gemma Jones for You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure wow. I have not seen. I think that's one of the, the Woody Allen movies 
that I just did, never saw, and yeah. that was fine. Interestingly enough, I'm going to look this up. Give me a second. Because um, IMDb does not list a winner for the ESPY Award for Best Sports Movie. For Which this was apparently nominated for. Maybe it shared a win. Hold on. Let me look up. Let me look up the ESPYs. So, okay. Yeah. Looked it up. The Fighter, Best Picture nominee, The Fighter, ended up winning Best Sports Movie, which honestly, deserving and well-earned. I think The Fighter is... There are, there are days where I think The Fighter is the best movie of 2010, honestly. It's so, so good and so much better than it has any right to be, because I generally do not get into boxing movies, but I think The Fighter's fantastic. So I think that's the true Fighter of most beats David out, o. Russell movies, that they're way better than they have any right to be. I think that's true. Fighter beats out Secretariat, Win-Win, which is a great movie that nobody really yes, talks it about is. anymore. I think Win-Win is a really, really wonderful movie. Paul Giamatti and Amy Ryan, who I would have nominated for Supporting Actress that year. I think she's so good playing uh, the wife in a way that, like, in a role that is written so much better than generally wives get to be. My wife! In movies like that. I think she's mm-hmm. wonderful. And then Soul Surfer. <laughs> Soul Surfer is the fourth nummy that year, and I only laugh not because of, like, the real-life tragedy of this teenage surfer who um, got attacked by a shark and lost her arm. But the poster for Soul Surfer is this girl, Anna Sophia Robb plays the girl, holding her surfboard, and the surfboard has a giant shark bite taken out of it, which... It's a little... It's fucking campy. Yeah. And, they, and camp, where people don't understand that, it's that camp. what they've made is camp is probably the most, like, pure definition of the term. But it's so fucking funny. It's supposed to be so dramatic. And it's like you have a giant, like, shark bite out of your surfboard. I think we get the message. Okay. Anna Sophia Robb, the Catherine Newsom of 2010. (laughs) That is Catherine Newton, I think you're talking about. But yes. Ah, yes. Um, For sure. Absolutely for sure. Anything else before we get into the IMDb game? Eh, you know, Secretariat, Seabiscuit, all that. All that. I'm terrified of horses. All of it. Terrified What's of that? horses, and this is a year that has given us too many horse movies. We've had The Rider, this is true. Lean this on is true. Pete. Lean on Pete, which is, is actually good. really good. Lean on Pete is a lot. Lean on Pete I like was Lean on Pete. A, oh, Lean on Pete, I saw it in a large movie theater completely by myself, which was for the best because there is a, I will say, middle of the movie turn of events that is so upsetting that I had a physical vocal reaction to it, and it was good that I was alone in the movie theater. (laughs) Charlie Plummer's really good, though. See it for Charlie Plummer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that's all I've got on C... uh, God... One of these days, I'm going to not Ew. call it Seabiscuit. Secretariat. I liked Secretariat fine. One of these days, I'll call it by its actual name. If you That's ever it. even think of it again. If I ever even think of it again. Let's talk about the IM- Let's do the IMDb game. IMDb game. Okay, so IMDb game. We play this every week. This is how we close our episodes here on This Had Oscar Buzz. Um, if this is your first time with us, sometimes this game is known as Known For. We challenge each other with a famous or not so famous character, actor, actress, um, and challenge the other person to guess the top four titles that are listed for them on IMDb as the roles that you would know them for. 
caveats being we try to avoid the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter movies because they go straight to the top. And we also let the other person know if there is voice work or television. Also, you should go to the list that Chris created on Letterboxd for all the movies we've talked about on this podcast where Chris has been keeping stats for IMDb game. And you can see just how poorly I have done on a lot of these. <laughs> Myself as well. Though we've both had perfect scores at some point, though. so We'll we have. take it. That's true. We'll take it. All right. So all right. do you want to give to me first? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right. So I mentioned Unfaithful, a movie that I yes. like a lot. I believe it is still currently playing on Amazon Prime. Everyone should watch it, especially for Diane Lane in a subway. Um, not a subway chain. Um, the actual thing you ride. Um, one of her co-stars in the film character actress who should be a leading actress michelle monahan oh okay all right michelle monahan no television no television mission impossible three no I will say I will give you the hint here. She, there are no Mission Impossibles. Okay, uh, the, the, thank you for making me uh, for letting me avoid the rest of that unpleasant conversation. Um, Maid of Honor. No. Okay, so that's two. No. Notes. I'm going to give you years now. Boy, Once you get two tough. answers wrong. We help each other out with years. If you get another one wrong, we just start throwing things out. Okay, so yeah. you have 2005, 2015, 2007, and 2011. 2005. Now I'm trying to remember what made us aware of Michelle Monaghan in the first place. Oh. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep, 2005. 2005. All right, what are the other years? 2015, 2007, 2011. Is it that one where she plays a truck driver? I hope not. I do not not believe that she plays a truck driver in any of these. I don't think we know her profession in... Well, at least one of them. You know what movie I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, where, like, yeah. It was like one where of Where it was like leads. a Sundance movie, and people were like, this is the thing, it's going to happen from Michelle Monaghan. All right. Mm, yeah. uh, 2007, 2011, 2015. Um, boy, this is going to be tough. I can't believe none of the Mission Impossible movies are on here. Um, Monaghan. There's Michelle one on Monaghan. here that I genuinely it that is a lead role for her that I genuinely can't believe is on this list. Yeah. Is it a rom-com? No. She doesn't really get leads in rom-coms though. Well, that that's why I thought Maid of Honor was going to be on there because it was like the rare That's one. what's crazy is like IMDb game generally does does right by rom-coms. Like they will put that yeah. on your list. Yeah. God, I honestly I'm having okay, a hard well, let time me, coming up with Michelle Monaghan movies. I could give you some of her leading men, but I feel like that would give it away. Um, yeah. Well, for, let me just like make one stab in the dark and just be like, ugh. So are there like action? Mm, no, don't give me. Uh, there's hints. at least one action movie. And one comedy least- action movie. One comedy action movie. Oh, oh, oh. She's the lead uh, in Eagle Eye? 
That's the movie that I said that I thought would be on here, and it's not. Oh, so I get one. Okay, so now give me hints. Okay, so the comedy action movie was a big old bomb. Um, it's like high concept stars, like one of the biggest like actors in comedy who is no longer one of the biggest actors in comedy. Um, Jim Carrey. And then, no. What year? This is what year? 2015. So it's the most recent one. It was a summer bomb. Has like marketing opportunities because it was like video game esque. I mean, not oh, um, literally pixels. Yes, Pixels. For fuck's sake, Pixels. Okay, okay, let's do 2007. 2007 is from a... This was the first time director... First time directing gig for an actor whose second directing gig is very famous to the Oscar world for a specific stat. Um, oh, The Town? The, no, that was not... No, that was twenty ten. The first director. It's the right director. Not the first Oh, movie. it's Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, right. Gone Baby Gone. Um, and then the next one is a like high concept sort of sci fi action movie. I believe we've joked about Vera Farmiga's part in this movie before. Oh, source code. Source code. Wow. Wild that yeah, Eagle is not start on doing here, better. right? We gotta start doing better by Michelle Monaghan. I know, like, you would think, okay, so I feel like she's one of those performers that's gotten screwed over because, like, we don't make movies for women anymore. Like, you mentioned yeah. rom-coms. Like, she hasn't been the lead of a rom-com, and that's probably because they don't fucking make rom-coms anymore. Michelle well, Monaghan not- is, like, always good at what she does and gets, like, no credit for it. It's because it Dominic Monaghan took all that role. took all the attention for Lord of the Rings and lost. Yeah, that's all. We could only have one famous Monaghan at a time, so we should have been her. Should have been her. Okay, so my pick for you, the director of Secretariat is a man named Randall Wallace, who has not directed very many movies. Actually, only four features. He directed The Man in the Iron Mask, which was the Blockbuster by accident, like uh, by proximity to Titanic. To Titanic. That all the all the Leo maniacs went and saw the Man in the Iron Mask as well. Directed the 2002 Mel Gibson movie We Were Soldiers that I did not see, and directed in 2014, if you recall, the story of young Colton Burpo who went to heaven and saw things. Um, Are heaven you is for real. Me? Yeah. So, same guy who gave us Secretariat gave us Heaven is for Real, starring the great, I will say great, Greg Kinnear. So, what are the four known four movies for Mr. Greg Kinnear? God, no TV. No TV, no voice. Okay. Um, as good as it gets. Yes, correct. Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, correct. Both Best Picture nominees. Um, and honestly, he should have been nominated for supporting actor in both of those. And he was only nominated in one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Autofocus? No. 
No, that's a dumb answer. Why that was his that failed dumb? Oscar buzz. That was his big failed yeah. Oscar buzz was autofocus. That movie is super <clears throat> icky. Um, yes, icky is the right Okay, we talked about rom-com, so I'm just going to throw... Just because this is the one that's coming to mind. You've got mail. Yes. Correct. He is the passed over would-be paramour for Meg Ryan. Are they engaged in that movie? I can't remember. I I don't think the characters know whether or not they're engaged. <laughs> um, God, I love you, guys. All right, one more, and you've only got one strike. I feel like you're circling this. I feel like you're close. Is it Heaven is for Real? No, it is not Heaven is for Real. So now you get a hint in the form of a year, 1995. So think about when Jesus, as good as that's it gets was. Pre as good as it gets. Yep. Ooh. It was not his first feature film, but it was his first feature film where he got a, his character was named. He was in Blank Man as talk show host. So this was the first feature film in which he was a named character. Is it that movie where he plays the guy that, like, people are writing letters to God? Is that your guess? Do you remember that movie? Yes, that's my guess. I do remember that guess. Yeah, that movie was called Dear God. It is not Dear God. So you get three out of four, which is pretty good. But it's, like, Dear God was his second movie that got a named character. So you're circling right around it. We mentioned (laughs) this movie... I think we mentioned this movie in passing when we were talking about Golden Globe nominees from the year 1995. Um, oh, as okay, I recall, so, let me remember what them are. They are. He's not the romantic lead in this movie. He is once again the uh, the guy that the lead actress does not choose. Is is he in the Sabrina remake? Yep, it's Sabrina. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, so yeah. Neither have I. I. I think I'm fine. Greg. I don't Kinnear. know. We'll see. Maybe I'll watch it and I'll love it. Greg Kinnear's Greg- cameo as himself in the newest season of Kimmy Schmidt was like the highlight of the. Oh, Non-Start he's season. so good and so funny, funny and willing to make fun of himself. I loved that. You're absolutely right. Highest yeah. recommendation. Highest you recommendation. did very well on that. Three out of four for you for Greg Kinnear. Very good. <laughs> you know. Um, well, I mean, like, and that's our Sea Biscuit episode, um, <laughs> our Secretariat episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Um, Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Sure. Every day you can find me at decider.com talking about film and movies and everything that is on streaming. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D, and I am on Letterboxd also at Joe Reed, spelled the same way. Wouldn't it be funny if it was spelled a different way just to fuck with people? Sure. It's not. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, and I'm on Twitter. I'm at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Um, I am also writing at the Film Experience. You can catch me there writing about soundtracks and Oscar the Oscar season. Um, I'm also on Letterbox, as Joe mentioned. You can find our This Had Oscar Buzz list on my Letterbox page. Again, that's Chris V File on Letterbox as well. 
We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Um, please, please, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, five-star reviews are really appreciated by Joe and I, and they help us become more visible on iTunes. Even independently run podcasts need their own supportive Margot Martindales. Hey, honey. Um, and that's all for... Hey, honey. Hey, honey. Um, off pod, Joe called her DJ Margie Marks. Margie Marks, whatever it was. He called her Margot Margs, and I said, DJ Margot Margs. Margot Martindale, please add us with your DJ skills. Please come oh. to our Oscar party. I was um, going to say, who's having an event that we can have Margot Martindale DJ? Just like so, somebody have a big fancy Christmas party and just have her DJ it. That's On the so ones wonderful. and the twos, Margot Martindale. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this week. We're going to go DJ with Margot Martindale, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye. Bye.